tackler at safety, got an early head start on the offseason, leaving Anthony Richardson's cupboard bare. The, the Gators brought a game to this season finale, leading by three at half and number 15 play, playing as we had foreseen. But the halftime Gatorade turned Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde, and 11 straight incompletions out of the break supplied the Knolls some much-needed cushion. Not until a fourth down incompletion in the end zone, with less than a minute to go, did the barnstormer end when all of Dote Campbell's faithful field stormed. The whole day from start to finish was a celebration of FSU football and honoring those that helped bring this program back from the dead. Fabian Lovett, Jamie Robinson, Pokey Wilson, just to name a few that received their senior day flowers, but many other players possibly put on the garnet and gold for the last time. These men may never win an ACC championship or Orange Bowl, nor will they host the sport's ultimate prize. But them and the rest of the 2022 team will be remembered always for making Florida State football what it should be. And I, I wanted to, to introduce the show with that because that was the feeling that I had from being in the stadium, the final home game of the year uh, against Florida for the first time in a while. You felt like you could really compete with them. And Jackson, we'll start from you. I mean, not only was it an all-time classic in the series, you got the win, you're 9-3. Um, you know, but state champs, there's so much that, that went into it. And uh, I don't know if we, sitting here in August, we had expected this is where we would be uh, the week after Thanksgiving. Well, I'll tell you what, it was just a blessing to watch that game. Um, you know, just ex extremely fortunate to, to be able to be in the stands and see that one live. And really, you know, what a game. And, and I, I, I talked to some people after the game, and you know, I, I came to the conclusion that, you know, nobody really – lost the game for their own team no nobody this game wasn't full of mistakes you know that you know, at the beginning of the year we talked about uh the florida state lsu game and what a what a classic that was um but there was a lot of mistakes on on both sides of the ball for both teams um and you know it felt like <laughs> at some point both teams were trying to lose the game on their own but this this game was just this game should be celebrated as you know, one of those football games in which both teams put it all on the line. They played incredibly good football, and I think we can all agree that the better team came out on top because they both played their best ball that we've seen here um, probably all season. Maybe not on the defensive side for Florida State, but, you know, Florida's offense was, was firing on all cylinders for a decent portion of the game. And, um, man, what just what an opportunity that it was to be able to watch that game. Yeah, if you're just joining us, Florida State football, they beat UF 45-38. to First uh, Friday game in the history of the series, usually played on that Saturday game. That was a, a different wrinkle to the competition as well. And, yeah, I think we had sat on this show a week ago and we thought, yeah, it was going to be close. I had actually picked Florida to win, uh, but, but Kylie and Jack, I don't think any of us could have expected that it would have been this high scoring. I mean, I think the over was hit nearly at halftime. I, I certainly didn't expect it to be this high scoring and going back to what Jackson said about it being a blessing to be able to watch that game, I actually learned this from having, um, unfortunately, a UF fan stay in my company with me over the weekend and uh, we get to watch these games for free. We do. UF yes. students end up paying 200 plus dollars every football season on tickets. I feel like that's worth noting. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's honestly despicable. I, I don't care what when anybody says, oh, well, it's part of y'all's tuition. You know, I'll shut up. <laughs> but oh, oh, yeah. Especially when Florida Brides pays your tuition, you're not really paying for those That's tickets. exactly right. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I guess uh, UF students won't back down, uh, even when it comes to having to, to pay for those student tickets. I see what you did there. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Eastbound and down better than won't back down, always and forever. That was another cool thing that they introduced a couple years ago that I love. Uh, Jack, any uh, other opening thoughts as we continue the conversation from, from this game? Yes, very lucky that we go there uh, free of charge, but we also are very lucky that we've been able to see FSU come out offensively and dominate this year. Our sixth 40th, 40 point game. Yeah. That's almost unheard of with this team as of recent. And we've seen it for the sixth time in the stadium. We only got one of those last year against Massachusetts. I mean, we saw it. I mean, we've seen it at home a few times. This one, Jordan Travis and Trey Benson combining for six touchdowns, just the two of them. That's just absolutely insane. And the fact that, again, we get to sit there free of charge, it's amazing. And, and um, you know, as. Florida State, excuse me, Florida State spectators. Uh, we got to see Florida State rush the court against Duke. We got to see, you know take down a, a top ten team. Um, you know, I used to work for the football equipment. I, I used to be able to on the, be on the field all the time, and I kind of took it for granted while I was working there. And um, to be able to rush it again last night, or excuse me, on, on Friday, was uh, such a surreal experience. And I, I didn't know if I was ever going to touch that grass again. And uh, I think a lot of students didn't know if they were ever going to do that. And so for the entire fan base to have that opportunity to really relish in that moment um, was something incredibly special. That was a cool moment. I had seen it. Had, it had been decades since since there was a, a yeah. field rush at, at Doe Campbell, and you know the last game of the season. You don't have to worry about keeping the field in any kind of condition. I think that's usually why law enforcement and, and everyone is so against rushing the field. But in a game like that, you got to resod everything anyway. Let the people have their fun, and the student section poured out first, and the rest of uh, the stadium followed. I mean, I was on the home side behind the bench, and, I mean, even that, that side cleared out as well. I mean, it was uh, – you saw all the pictures online. There was not – you couldn't see a speck of green on those photos, just so many people on the field, and, and to, to revel in that, as I talked about at the Open, to be relevant, to be competitive, to actually feel the team that looks good at football for the first time in, in half a decade – and obviously that's why everyone is so excited because, you know, the success that the fan base had become accustomed to. I want to quickly run through the game script. Too many, too many, you know, scoring drives and everything to go through it all like we usually do. But just to give some context to the game and maybe spark some more conversation. Uh, Florida State offense starts the game. This was a, an offense that eight times in 11 games coming into the night had scored a touchdown on their opening drive, which is another thing that that's unheard of. Uh, a third and long completion to Pokey Wilson on senior night for him over the middle, but uh, a Florida safety jars the ball loose and a fumble there, a turnover to begin the game, a little uncharacteristic there, but it, it ended up being a wash. It was a fourth down stop from the defense, gets it back. It was, uh, I believe, Jared Verse and Tatum Bethune uh, on fourth and two, uh, UF trying to go outside with the run, but a defense that's been uh, very good at tackling all year, very physical, gets the stop to get the ball back at midfield. Uh, the Gators return a kick about to about the 50-yard line and go just one play, 52 yards for Pearsall, the wide receiver, Ricky Pearsall. I mentioned in the open, only or five FS, uh, UF wideouts were ruled out, so Ricky Pearsall was pretty much the only guy they were counting on. Had a, nearly 150 yards and two touchdowns on just five catches in the entire game. So one play, one touchdown, they go play action, testing the corners on the outside for whatever reason. Well, not for whatever reason. It makes sense. Florida State wanting to, to test the receivers with some press man coverage. Uh, Johnny Wilson dropped a touchdown on a play that you really wanted to have. 
and uh, later on in the drive, an incompletion on 4th and 12 at the UF 36-yard line, or maybe you think it's a spot for a field goal, but as has been the case, uh, they decide to go for it. Richardson gets hurt during the responding touchdown drive. Kitna comes in for a little while. Richardson ends up coming back in and finishing it off. Uh, Jordan Travis had a couple of great plays uh, the rest of the half. Uh, escaping sacks, there was t- you know two touchdowns that get called back where he was down or started to slide at the one-yard line. Kind of ridiculous, but absolutely highlight plays for him. Jarian Jones had his first interception of the year. With all that said, though, UF was up three points. It was 24-21 at halftime, and then uh, it took until after the teams came out of the locker room uh, to, to see the tides turn. UF and Anthony Richardson, 11 straight incompletions out of halftime. They went three and out on their first three possessions. Florida State scored 17 points off those drives, so really gaining some momentum and a two-touchdown lead. UF scored two touchdowns running against the tired FSU defense uh, to to get the game knotted up. FSU game-winning drive. It was Johnny Wilson on a third and long on a back shoulder throw. They had trusted him all night despite all the drops and all the incompletions. Two catches. They probably threw the ball to him eight times. And then Benson, uh, just physical running, would not be denied, punching it in uh, for the for the game-winning score. U.S. final drive. They had fourth and 18 converted. It was an incomplete pass, but McClellan uh, committed a pass interference, according to the referees, to keep the drive going. Uh, all the way down to the FSU 26, where another incomplete pass on 4th and 12, where maybe safety Jamie Robinson took a, a little bit of a tug at Richardson's face mask, but a no call ends the game. The call that you heard at the top of the show, courtesy of, of Jeff Colhane and uh, the Seminole Sports Network. So n- now that I kind of go through that, uh, is there anything else that, that pops out to you guys? I mean, to me, what was because we had talked about that in the preview that Richardson was uh, so hot and cold, but it's usually game to game. He did it within a game. He played great in the first half and then 11 straight incompletions out of the second half. I'd never seen anything to that magnitude, and there's no question that it cost him the game. Well, I'll tell you what. We, we saw a Florida State team that I think could have put up more points. Um, we saw a Florida State team that had drops early on. We saw a Florida State team that had an early fumble, but what we did see that really wasn't out of the ordinary it was a Florida State team that was able to respond. Um, these past couple of years, it seemed like they had to play the perfect game every week um, in order to have a shot. And um, and you go back to that 2020 game against UNC, um, they, were, they, they played perfect in the first half, and they still almost lost um, there in the second. And you look at this team, you know, they, they go down – Early to Florida, they they have to they have to scratch and claw their way back, and you know believe in themselves. This is the first team I think that's actually truly that that actually truly believes that they can win a game no matter either how far down they are or how bad they look, and um, it's impressive to watch. If you would have told me a year ago that they would have been down uh, to three by Florida at home, um, and you know be up by fourteen. You know, later, you know, late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, um, I wouldn't believe you. Yeah, Jack and Kylie, I'll pose this to you. I mean, there's countless things about this nine to three team that looks different than Florida State teams have passed. But as Jackson says, do you think it's that resiliency? Is it that fight that that makes this team so much different and has led to their success? It's such a big thing in sports, you know, having the resiliency, being able to fight back. And this team does have it this year, you know, and they've been proving that ever since the beginning of the season. Um, what I find, what I found really, um, 
outstanding to see is that even when we had one running back, three running backs in, they all dominated. And if we gave the ball just to Trey Benson, it would work. If we gave it to three guys, it would work. Having the three-headed snake, just having Trey Benson, it doesn't matter who's there. If someone went down with an injury, guys were able to answer on the defensive side of the ball or offensive side of the ball. Everyone was able to answer at all times. I feel like saying resilience in fight back implies that things are not working like a well-oiled machine from the start. And honestly, I think that that perhaps is the greater point to make is that it appears that the Seminoles have fired on all cylinders on every opening drive almost this season. And I feel like if we talk about resiliency, and yes, like it's amazing that we stayed in the game, or Florida State stayed in the game the entire time. And but I just I feel like it's a it's worth mentioning that it feels like things have been systematic, and you didn't even really see players get super super riled up on the sidelines until it appeared that the game was going to end yeah. in that favor. And I think that that's a testament to the team culture that Mike Norvell is building and the offensive talent that's only going to grow within the next season. And not only that, Kylie, but we saw this against Miami. Just nobody was talking crap. Everybody stayed within themselves. Everybody was there to take care of business. And we saw the exact same thing against Florida. Um, you saw some scuffles here and, here and about, but it didn't seem like Florida State was initiating them from, from what I saw. And maybe that's a little bit of a bias there. But um, the entire game, there wasn't a single major scuffle. There wasn't a single major <clears throat> fight breakout at all. And so... Um, just the the mental focus and the ability to stay disciplined. We also saw a very like to, to bring up the word discipline. We we saw a very disciplined Florida State team last night uh, or on on Friday. Um, not that very many penalties, and I don't think there was a single false start penalty. No all game. It, Only thirty six penalty yards all night. Yeah, and wow. um, the the last. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think the last set was that last fifteen was yeah. that that. Um, pass interference call, which, you know, I think, honestly, that was a makeup call from the third down before it. Um, but still, that, that fourth down call was, a, I think, in my opinion, a 50-50 call. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, I wasn't mad, total, totally mad about it, but it was definitely 50-50. Um, <clears throat> so uh, we saw a disciplined team. We saw a team that could fight through adversity, and, and we've seen a team that um, just looks better. It looks like a national contender. That is something you'll hear head coaches say going into these big rivalry games is don't beat yourself, let the other team be the one to beat themselves. And you guys made a great point, not just to the Florida game, but also the Miami game. It was those two teams that were committing personal fouls and extracurricular fouls against Florida State, and Florida State would not get involved in it. They wouldn't let it bother them. They would just turn the, the cheek the other way and continue to just lay the wood into the team they were beating the pulp out of. And that, that's how you do it. You let the play on the field speak for itself. Also, you know, we, we use their word resiliency and mental toughness and all this. Um, another, another point to bring up, the drops. The drops could have been killer. I mean, they probably had five drops all night. It reminded you of the NC State game where they didn't score any points in the second half. It would be drops that killed the drive. That happens to football teams. You know, that, that Johnny Wilson touchdown drop early in the game, that was on first and ten. And that drive ended up stalling out, but the other ones they were able to to fight back. And uh, there was also some some bad penalties that went their way, but they never let it beat them, and they they just continued to to do what they did and, and didn't get beat by it. 
I feel like that's another Mike Norvell coaching point to put out there is from a fan standpoint, you're looking at Johnny Wilson dropping several passes and you're thinking, oh my gosh, please don't go to him again. And they go to him again. And that's exactly what we saw uh, in the remainder um, of the trying to I'm drawing a blank here but uh when Deuce Span had a call against the Miami him, game yes the Miami game Deuce Span had a call against him very next play they secured Deuce Span back into that that game it's just it's interesting to watch his coaching work yeah and Kylie you said it perfectly it starts from the top Mike Norvell people from the outside looking in they they see our coaching staff they see just Mike Norvell no, it's everybody back there. The men and women, the office, the offensive coach, the defensive coach, even the strength and conditioning coaches. I've heard little sound bites from all of them. Whether they play a small role or a big role, they all just seem like such great people, and they say, always seem like they're always on top of the players, always looking to improve, and that's where it starts. It's so important. And uh, you know, being able to be around him for a season in 2020, um, I just remember uh, – telling uh, Professor Ziegler, I don't know if you're listening, Mr. Ziegler, I remember telling him this, I, I, I said, uh, for those of you that don't know, Professor Ziegler, longtime uh, professor, speech professor at Florida State, great guy. All over campus. That's exactly right. I remember telling him, because we both have, you know, fond uh, of opinions of, of Coach Norvell, and um, I remember telling him, I was like, I can't, the way he carries himself, the way that uh, he coaches, the way that he's on top of everything, I can't imagine him failing. And uh, I'm glad to see that's finally coming to fruition, mostly because it means I'm right. No, I'm kidding. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I- I'm really happy for him. I'm really happy for the team. And, um, yeah, it- it's-, it's cool to see from, you know, trying to be objective as possible. It's cool to see hard work pay off. Yeah, I remember being on this show the in ch- last season, the week after Florida State lost to Louisville f- to start 0-4, and the big talking point that week was the the message that Coach Norvell delivered in the postgame presser, and I, it was released uh, just on various social media platforms the last couple of days, reminding people how far we've come. And it to your point, Jackson, like you listen to this guy, and it's it sounds like it's impossible for him to fail. It seems like you know a good head on his shoulders isn't even enough enough to put it he's he's so driven he's he's so intentional in everything that he does you know you hear the we need to get better one percent better every day in practice and for a lot of coaches it's just talk but for him it's been a lot more from that and you've actually seen it come out onto the field we we talked about the discipline and the penalties earlier you're actually seeing it you know make a difference and and that's that's great to see given some some more credit jordan travis I think this is an interesting conversation to have because the numbers weren't necessarily there compared to his other performances, but you combine the the environment and the heart they, was yeah was this one of if not the best game that Jordan Travis has played as a Seminole? You know we we talked about this. Um, I remember you had a game in mind. It's, I'm drawing a blank now. What you thought his best game was before this? Um, maybe it's the Miami game, statistics-wise. Uh, he didn't have that many attempts, obviously, because he didn't play the second half, or he only played one game into the second half. But um, statistically, statistically wise, maybe not. This wasn't the best game of his, but uh, he definitely passed the eye test. First of all, like you said, a lot of lot of drops, and it's not like they were contested drops. They, I mean, these were these were uh, drops that you have to have, and you can't pin that on the quarterback. Um, but was it maybe Syracuse? Is that what he, we're thinking? He threw for 403 touchdowns against Georgia Tech 
That, yeah. that, I would say that was his best game throwing. He didn't rush for any yards in that one. But but Jordan Travis made the offensive line on Friday look like they're all going to the first round. I yeah. mean, <laughs> um, just based on eye test, him, him being able to scramble around for his life and and turn you know twenty yard losses into thirty yard gains. Um, that's just something you can't put a price tag on. That's something you can't uh, show in statistics. And, um, well, obviously the, the 30 yards gain does, but not the 20 yard possible loss. So um, his ability to just take control of a game, take over a game, um, I definitely, I would agree with you. I think, it, I think it's his best game. You know, uh, you know, understanding the moment with everything involved. Understanding the moment, it was his best game. Uh, he had some plays... And everyone saw him on SportsCenter. Everyone saw him all across the world. They were plays that just made everyone's jaws drop, whether if you were in the stadium, outside the stadium. Now, when it comes to statistically, obviously you may have, you know, different thoughts. I mean, he's had, um, for the last six games, he's had three total touchdowns. So there's always, you know, he's always going to score. There's a lot of games where he's, obviously, like I just said, scored multiple times. This one, though, it did, it did mean so much that... The plays in the red zone, that's what set this game apart, and this is what set Jordan Travis apart from other quarterbacks in the league. It was very impressive to see what he had to do. Yes, he's had five total touchdowns, and he had a passing touchdown, receiving touchdown, rushing touchdown all in the same game, but this game this game sets him apart. And, and, and William, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. It's kind of off the cuff, but J-Trav, and you're looking at the numbers right now, J. Trav has the numbers that he has now, and Florida State is is twelve and zero or eleven and one. Do you think he he cracks the top three in the Heisman voting? Yeah, I, I think he just. I, we hadn't even talked about this, but he queued me up for something that I saw. So, Jordan Travis this year was the fourth Florida State quarterback ever to have three thousand combined total yards and thirty combined total touchdowns. The other three all won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, and so. There is a little bit of creative accounting in getting Travis to that number. He needed that that receiving touchdown against Syracuse to get to that thirty mark, and he needed the rushing yards. Uh, but yeah, I think if if Florida State was twelve and zero this year, and you beat Clemson, combining with Florida and Miami and everything, there's no doubt because the Heisman Trophy is the description is what the most the most uh, outstanding player in college football. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I don't know how he would not be worthy of that yeah. that marker uh, with, with those numbers. Yeah, I agree. And so so hats off to to Jay Trav and company. Um, what a spectacular season! Obviously, I think he would he would agree. You know, he would probably want some throws back, or he would you know want things to go differently in different ways. But um, nobody can take away the season that he's had, and so it's just an absolute you know hats off to him and what he's been able to do, especially you know transferring from Louisville. Yeah. And, um, you know, having to earn the trust of the coaching staff, or having to earn the trust of, you know, two different coaching staffs. Um, he, he, he barely earned it, um, you know, with, with Coach Taggart, and it took him, you know, a year and a half to earn it with, with Coach Norvell. And um, for him to just keep fighting and for him to, you know, keep believing in himself, he could have he could have went elsewhere, you know, after, you know, not starting um, in 2020, after not starting, uh, after, you know, splitting reps with, with McKenzie Milton. Um, as soon as they brought in Milton, he could have left if he wanted to. But he he he, uh, he kept fighting the good fight, and I think Florida State fans everywhere are just um, incredibly thankful and grateful that uh, he's stayed with us. 
I think he has the perfect mentality for this team and this system at this particular moment. He's okay if he only completes nine passes in a game and maybe doesn't run a ton, but the team wins and either the team first mentality and all that. Uh, and you said earning the the trust of the coaches and his teammates. Not just that, but I think putting trust in himself. We've heard from from his brother that at times early in his tenure with FSU or his time at FSU, he he wasn't sure he wanted to continue playing football, but he decided to to stay the course. And, and now he's the, the starting quarterback for what's likely going to be a top ten, top fifteen college football program next year, which is a major spot to be holding. Before we move on, Kylie Jordan Travis against UF, best game of his career. What say you? Honestly, I don't know how we can not say Syracuse. I, I go with Syracuse because of the securing of the triple crown. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a pretty pretty cool that, marker. For I him. just I just think that that exemplifies all that he can do. Yeah, I think that's a good answer in in, in that regard. Yeah, as I just said, the do it all guy, whatever it takes, got a touchdown. To, yeah, I don't think there is a wrong answer, really. Right. I mean. Maybe, I mean, obviously you could pick something like Clemson or you could pick, I mean, obviously there is a wrong answer, but there isn't necessarily a, a certain right one. Um, and so that's what's been so great to watch, just as someone that watches Florida State football, just a, just somebody that's been consistent all year. And uh, that's something we haven't seen in the quarterback position. Really, you can really even argue since since 2014, we Florida State fans have not seen a consistent quarterback for 12 games. He's going to be – he's already top 10 all-time in most categories. He'll probably be top five all-time, if not better, um, and all the, the quarterback statistics by the time he's done here. His numbers in the regular season threw for just under 2,800 yards, 22 touchdowns to just four picks, and on the ground you've got uh, over 350 yards with another seven touchdowns. On the ground, half past the hour on 7 o'clock, Tomahawk Talk with William Jackson, Jack, and Kylie as we move on here. Uh, again, number to, to call the show, 850-644-1837. Another offensive player to, to give some, some recognition to, not only do the Knolls run for 200 yards in the seventh straight game, which is amazing to think about. Is that an FSU record? It's got to be. Yeah, I don't know how it couldn't be. Yeah, uh, the dedication to the run game, forty-four times on the ground once again. But it's Trey Benson getting it done. Twenty touches on the ground, over a hundred yards and three touchdowns. Uh, I, it's impossible to say it enough. I mean, you can't get this guy down on on first contact. It seems like it take it took three or four Gators to bring him to the ground on nearly every carry. He added fifty yards through the air as well. Him and McDonald had uh, some nice catches where. Uh, Florida State working against the man coverage and just getting the clear out over the middle and nothing but green grass in front, and that added to his stat line. But Benson was a guy that came off a bad knee injury at Oregon, transfers to Florida State, was on a pitch count, I think, for almost the first half of the season as they're trying to work him back slowly. Treshawn Ward was great, uh, but got hurt in that NC State game. And ever since then, Trey Benson absolutely, uh, literally and metaphorically, ran with it. And, yes, the offensive line is great. Yes, Travis is elusive and extends plays. But I don't know if you have this performance where you're dropping 40 uh, in half your games and you're scoring touchdowns on the opening drive if you don't have Trey Benson, who is, to my, from what I've seen, from all the games that I've watched, to me he was the best running back in college football this year. And, I mean, you can make the argument. Um, obviously you have guys in Texas like yeah. uh, like Bajon Robinson and you have Blake Corum there who's who's – trying to nab a Heisman for himself, but um, you can definitely make an argument 
and you know if he wasn't splitting carries his numbers would be whew, they'd be good mm-hmm. um and so uh that running game this year it was interesting to me um a year year and a half ago when when coach Norvell you know stated that he wanted the identity of this team to be a, a running team um because with our with our offensive line at with Florida State's offensive line at the time it was just it seemed weird <laughs> to put yeah. I, for lack of a better word so um you know, and we saw that, you know, to uh, go to another game, we saw that with Michigan and what they've been able to do. Um, just, you know, while everybody else is, is throwing, you know, spreading the ball out and, and you know, throwing bombs all day, uh, to see that Michigan team just completely dominate on the ground game all season and, um, you know, control the game like Florida State has been able to do this season with, with, with time of possession. Um it's been interesting to watch how football is going back and forth between, uh, you know, because for, for the last four or five years, it's just been everything has been in the air. Everything's been spread out, a lot more West Coast kind of stuff. Um, but you're seeing teams like Michigan and Florida State really uh, prioritize the ground game. And uh, just from a, from a schematics-wise, it's, it's interesting to see the ebbs and flows of college football. Yeah, Jordan Travis certainly improved his arm this year. But back to Trey Benson, it was so cool to see him lead our team or lead the Florida State team in rushing yards and receiving yards. Yeah. He was very – he's just like Jordan. He's a dual-threat player, you know. <laughs> um, he's averaging over 40 points – or, sorry, Florida State averaged over 40 points scored over the last five games. Trey Benson, out of those last five games, four of those games he rushed for over 100 yards, three touchdowns last game. And even before this, like you said, Jackson, you know, the three-headed snake before with Toa Philly, Ward, and Benson. Now Benson's all alone doing it by himself, and it's still working on the ground. And along with Jordan Travis, you know, doing his thing on the ground, the ground game has been so important. You're right. The offensive line is going to look different next year. There's some young guys that they feel confident about. We'll see if the run game is able to, to duplicate And sorry to interrupt, uh, Dylan Gibbons won... Uh, the award we talked about, I forget. It's, it's I think it was me. a different one. It wasn't okay. the uh, the Jason Witten, but it was. Uh, I can try and pull it up. But you're right. He did win some kind of award, and we talked about him last week and his effect on the team. Not only was he winning, you know, offensive lineman of the week award. It was the the Jim Tatum award this year that that he won. Uh, that's for the Atlantic Coast Conference uh, that they give out, given to the top senior athlete in the country who exemplifies success on and off the field. Yeah. So not just on the field, but in the community, but in the in the position room too. He's from my hometown in St. Petersburg, and hey, hey. and they, even when I went back home, and uh, the folks that know that um, I'm up in Tallahassee, they asked me, they you ever talk to Dylan Gibbons? I'm like, no, but he sure is helping us out this year, and that's the main conversation back home is how Gibbons has really impacted this Florida State team. Uh, another uh, Robert Scott. Uh, spoke to the media after the uh, Louisiana game, and they asked him about Gibbons, who broke the rock after the Louisiana game, Ooh. leading that position group. And he said, "Yeah, he looks like a like a caveman anyway, with that long scraggly beard." So you know, to see him <laughs> slam the hammer down was was fitting. But but what a an impact Gibbons. Yeah, has he made. really fit in with the uh, with the Irishman at at Notre Dame before. <laughs> but um, it, it it's definitely Florida State fans have definitely uh, been extremely excited to, to be able to watch him both on and off the field have success. I'm really hoping that the young freshmen and young players who didn't maybe play as much this year were paying attention to what he created um, because it, it changed the team and it, and it makes such a big difference um, the, the, what he had set up. 
giving we talked a lot about seniors, giving some credit to a younger guy, Shaheem Brown, who Shy Glizzy, who made <laughs> who made a name for himself with the block in the bayou. Got his first career start, I believe. Akeem Dent did not play at safety the first time he was unavailable. So Brown takes his place at basically that uh, that strong safety position. Seven tackles, a sack, and two pass defensed. Uh, a redshirt freshman, a really impressive player. Uh, can move around really well. Uh, I'm sure he'll continue to put on some some more weight the more he's here and, and kind of be more of that, that hit stick type that we saw maybe from Jamie Robinson this year. Um, but but they used him as a QB spy in the second half. They had him running around doing all sorts of things. A really impressive player on the back end of that defense. He had a great play at the very end of the game um, where he timed up um, a pass perfectly. It was an exact bang-bang play. Um, I still don't know whether he, he got there earlier or not because it was just perfect timing, um, which so which means he didn't. But um, but uh, just he's an impressive player. I remember you know when I was um, within the building that – the coaches were, were very high on him, and so, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. You know, and you know, you look forward to maybe guys like Stephen Dix, who's who's been hurt. Um, maybe he'll be able to come back next year and make an impact. Um, so, you know, there there's some guys that Florida State has to look forward to. Um, you know, whether Jordan Travis stays or not, that's a huge, that's a huge worry, I think. But um, you know, we talked about it pre-show. Uh, his draft outlook at this moment, you'd kind of guess that he doesn't. Yeah, I would. Have, I mean, and I think, too, we'll talk about with the seniors. I think if that was his last home game, he would have been honored with the seniors on senior night. So I think he, you know, read between the lines, he's got one more year in him. Uh, finishing off the, the Shaheen Brown point, I mean, look at this secondary potentially for next year, assuming Jones and Green maybe move on, who knows. But and, and beyond, uh, not just 23, but 24, Shaheen Brown, Azaria Thomas, Sam McCall, a lot of, you know, true and, and, and redshirt freshmen that looked really good. Um, and I would say maybe the secondary was the weak point Vance, of the team. Like Marion Cooper as well. Yeah, so a really bright feature for, for that unit. Uh, a couple other points. Florida State in that game against Florida, 9 of 16 uh, converting third downs. They were 52% this year, one of the best third-down conversion rates in the country, and that 52% mark was up 18% from last season alone. So we don't even have to explain it to you, but that's in maintaining drives, moving down the field, um, no matter how good of a running game and stuff you have, you're going to have you know third and eights, third and sevens, and guys like Johnny Wilson, guys like Cameron McDonald, and Jordan Travis being able to hang in the pocket one of the best third down offenses in the country and it's made a huge difference this year uh we talked about it they scored 40 for the sixth time this season 36 points a game they averaged this year up nine points from from last season so the markers are all there as exponential growth for this offense let's talk specifically about players that maybe played their last home game and if they're going to the draft it's likely they won't play in the bowl game the main guys it's a long list fabian lovett Defensive tackle Jared Verse, Jamie Robinson, Tatum Bethune at that middle linebacker position, Dimitri Emanuel, Dylan Gibbons, Justin Turntine, all along the offensive line, uh, Pokey Wilson, uh, Robert Cooper, defensive tackle, and Cam McDonald, the tight end, and then other guys that were not as impactful this year but have had long careers, and uh, McClellian, Keyshawn Helton, Leonard Warner the third, Garrett Murray, Long snapper Caden Lyles, who transferred but got hurt in the preseason, and, and Wyatt Rector, uh, kind of the do-it-all guy, threw a touchdown, but a, a tight end, uh, H from Lake County. From Lake County, so 
the the previous list that I read, I mean, that's both sides of the ball in the trenches specifically. I mean, we we highlighted some bright spots, but that the heart and soul of this team potentially is going to be moving on. Absolutely, and uh, as much as Florida State fans don't want to see him go, um, you recruit for a reason. You yeah, know? I mean the and. I, I thought there was going to be some questions on the defensive line uh, going into this season. Obviously, you lose Keir Thomas, you lose Jermaine Johnson the second, um, but you have guys like Derek McClendon step up. You have guys like uh, Patrick Payton. I think Patrick Payton is going to be an absolute um, just dog. He's going to be an absolute dude um, going into the next season. I, I think they're going to rely on him a lot to to, to seal those edges. Um, but guys like Robert Cooper really stepped up. Guys like Fabian Lovett really stepped up. Um, not that they weren't uh, producers before, but they, they really took the mantle this year and, uh, and ran with it. So um, I have that same faith that the, the players that um, will move into those starting spots next year will, uh, will be able to thrive. You mentioned the recruiting the job done there. What's so interesting about that list of seniors that I just read off, almost every single one of them were transfers. Yeah. Love it. Verse, Robinson, Bethune, Emmanuel, Gibbons, Turntine, all transfer players that did not start their career at Florida State. And, and Mike Norvell has accelerated the success of this football team through the transfer portal. Um, I mean, you, you, sometimes you wonder about you know, teams like Clemson. How could, it, could they have been if they, if they you know, touched the transfer portal? You know, my, um, Dabo's just not a transfer portal guy. Just imagine what... Uh, they could have done had they tapped into that market, but um, yeah, I, I think Florida State has, has a solid chance of of doing very well in the transfer portal again after this uh, great season. I think there's national championship aspirations, at least ACC championship nas- aspirations next season. Which guy honored on Senior Night are, are you gonna miss the most? All of them. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good answer. Say, honestly, like. You just had to sit here and think about that for a second because you're just like, every single one of them has proved to have been a vital aspect to the team, not only on a playing side, but also just these are the guys that you love. These are the guys that you love to see on the screen, you know. And we go to school with. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jamie Robinson, one of the best players on this entire team, really hard-hitting safety but great in coverage as well. I mean, Jared Verse is going to be a first-round pick. He had tackle for loss in every game. Basically a carbon copy of Jermaine Johnson in terms of impact and ability off the edge. Fabian Lovett was talked about maybe of the leader of this team, but certainly the defense. Tatum Bethune shored up a linebacker group that was, without a doubt, the worst position group on the team last yeah. year and turned it into a, a unit of strength. Uh, basically by himself, but he had some help there as well. And then the three guys on the offensive line, going to be hard to replace, Dylan Gibbons in particular. Um, so, so shout out to all them. It was great to see them put on the garnet and gold one final time. Maybe they'll they'll play in the bowl game verse and, and love it and Robinson. I would guess most likely not, but we'll see. Uh, the, the bowl matchup will be announced next Sunday. And let, let's briefly touch on it as it's not been announced yet. Just based on feel, we've seen some of the mocks. Who... Do you want Florida State to play? What matchup would you like to see in, and maybe what bowl game and in which location? What are you hoping for? What are you jonesing for come bowl season? Well, in terms of quality of matchup, I think uh, Florida State playing Utah in the Holiday Bowl would be a great, great All-American matchup. Um, but I think Florida State fans 
um, just for you know being able to watch the game logistics wise. Uh, a game against Texas or Texas Tech. I mean, I would prefer personally against Texas just because those are two big brand names. You can get a lot more viewers that way. Um, you know, a, a game against Texas in Orlando and Camping World Stadium um, would just, I think, would be an absolute uh, hell of a game. And so, um, you know, um, that's the one I'm looking forward to, really. That that was my <laughs> exact answer is um, Camping World Stadium, playing Texas. I'd rather play Texas than Texas Tech because I had family go to Texas Tech. So I, I don't even think you guys knew that about me, that I kind of like Texas Tech. But um, I, I'd like him here. I'd like to hear him sing "The Eyes of Texas." I'd like to hear that live. I think that would be a really cool experience. <laughs> but uh, my high school team won state champions, state championship in Camping World Stadium my junior year. So I just I have good vibes with that place. I think I think it'd be a great spot for a bowl game. I like what Jackson said. Utah or Texas, even. Um, I think. Florida State has an extremely good chance at beating both. Utah's had a strong season. So has Texas. Again, again, I think either or is a successful bowl game. And heading into the season, Florida State fans may have not predicted to play either of those teams, but here we are. Here they are. Quality and matchup-wise, the Holiday Bowl in San Diego and that, that Padres Park is probably going to be the place, whether it's Washington, Utah, any, any of those ranked teams, maybe even Oregon in a nice little rematch from the Pac-12. Uh but but certainly the, the geographically wise, you got the Gator Bowl uh, in Jacksonville, which most likely Florida State has surpassed getting that ninth win. But that's ACC versus SEC, so you could get another interesting matchup. Side note that I wanted to mention: Norvell and the Seminoles had two SEC wins this year. You know who else had two SEC wins? Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M Aggies. <laughs> so, uh, but but Jimbo had quite a few more cracks at getting that that those two wins. Is uh, Sam Houston State are they FBS or FCS? I am not sure, but okay. either way, it wasn't enough to to qualify them for a bowl game. They finish uh, five and seven. Um, but but the Citrus Bowl in Orlando, the Cheese It Bowl, now as it's known. Uh, most likely, and it, and it would probably be the most premier matchup as well, and give fans a lot of, uh, a chance to to get to see that game, and and we'll we'll talk about that matchup, maybe not preview it, but at least mention it and give some opening thoughts on our show next week. So so be on the lookout for that. But the landscape of the rest of Florida State sports, we'll, we'll give you uh, the vinegar first before we go to the honey. But Florida State men's basketball, they lose all three games in Disney uh, during that Thanksgiving kind of weekend period. They drop to 1-7 and seven on the season. I think last time we spoke, it was their worst start since 59-60. I mean, we could we could be headed to maybe their worst start ever. I don't know what that mark is going to be. but Well, we were a... Uh... A women's college until 1946 or 7 so you probably can't go further back than that yeah <laughs> um they beat mercer by nine last monday while we are on the show we were watching that game i think it was tied when we went off the air they end up pulling away for their only win of the year but they lose to sienna stanford and nebraska in in uh, orlando all by double digits two of those were by 18 points those three teams I mentioned this year combined 11 and 10. So these are not basketball powerhouses they're going out getting thumped by. These are middle-of-the-road programs that Florida State should be dominating and are getting dominated by. They shot under 40% from the field in two of the games. They combined on the weekend 13 of 56 from beyond the arc, from past the three-point line. That comes out to 23% in a day and age where three-point shooting is, is how you win. They were out-rebounded in every game. 
51 turnovers in the three games. I don't even I, – again, I did this last week. I, I'm almost past words on how to explain this. Uh, currently ranked 282nd in the country in points per game. There's about 350 teams and schools that compete at the Division One level, so 282nd in points uh, with just over 67 a game. 256th in field goal shooting, 42-and-a-half. 149th in three-point shooting, 237th in assists with about 12 and a half. They're not, they're not, you know, passing to, to open players. It's the guy who starts the possession with the ball is most likely going to finish it. And the worst of them all, 337th in rebounds with just over 31 a game. So it doesn't matter which way you slice it. Florida State basketball is failing in all aspects. And when you were talking about those teams in Siena, Stanford, and Nebraska, you used the word or the phrase "middle of the road," and that's generous. I mean, they're they're not good. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, you know, so oh, man, I I just no. Did anybody see this coming? Really? Did Did anybody see one and seven? Does can, no. And what's weird is, like you said, you can't explain it. I can't explain. It. I mean, we can we can watch it and say, hey, this is what they're not doing, but no one can explain why they're not doing what they should be doing, which is, uh, you know, being able to put the ball in the basket. I remember my, my dad watching Florida State basketball growing up. and Former you know, player. That's correct, former player. Uh, he has scored in the duck. Not many people can say that. Um, and so, um, you know, you watch those old, you know, those ACC um, barn burners of the day when, when Florida State was, you know, such a, they've always been a great team defensively. But, you know, you know, in those early 2010s, even when they won the ACC championship in 2012, um, they couldn't throw it in the ocean to save their life. And so, uh, it, it's it's what we're seeing here. And um, but I just I have never seen this combination of you know trying to, like you said, whoever's starting with the pos- or starting the ball in the possession, staying with it. Just the lack of creativity. That's that's really what I'm seeing. Well, and on the note of things not making sense, what I think makes the least sense is, you know, Coach Hamilton, 74 years old. We kind of cracked jokes about him not really being willing to evolve with the offensive adaptations that have been made to the game. So you would think that the things that are old-fashioned, old-school, we would be firing on. We We would be doing, Florida State basketball would be doing that correctly, but... 37 out of the last 48 free throws in the last two games, and then starting the first two games, 18 of 34 free throws. That's absolutely terrible. Mm. And that's high. That's that's. That's not even doing the basics. That's right. high school numbers, if that. Yeah. And um, it's it's a travesty to see because this is a Florida State team that you know the last three or four years has made themselves into arguably a, a basketball school, and that's, you know, obviously because Florida State's inadequacies um, in the football realm. But, um, you know, we, we were, you know, as just a, a station, as as a fan base, we, you know, we were thinking that um, maybe Florida State would be an athletic powerhouse for the next, you know, three or four year, upcoming years if they were to get their football team on track. They finally do it, and, you know, now the offense, like I said, can't can't throw the ball in the ocean. And so, you know, we see this this inability to to do both at once and it's 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 hard to see 
And go, dating back to a couple of years ago, Florida State was a top 10 basketball team. Last year, you know, they upset Duke. You'd think they'd be going into next week taking on Purdue and Virginia saying, we're going to upset these teams. We're going to, you know, go in there and give it our all. But, I mean, what is what is Coach Hamilton saying in that locker room right now, knowing they're going ahead, they're going against some of the best teams in America? Are they going in there saying, let's make it close? Let's just try our best? What is this 1-7 team saying? This 1-7 team is almost last in rebounds in the country. They're, the averages are just pitiful. Where do you turn around? Who does it start with? Well, it's certainly not a lack of confidence because they keep shooting three ball and they keep missing and they think they're going to find it at some point. So I, I <laughs> where does the pivotal... like, that, that was an aggressive point, but the, this I don't think confidence is a lack of. And I'm not getting on you. It's just it, it it's just a it's just weird. I I, I yeah. love that you apologize now after saying that they couldn't throw it in the ocean. No, no, As I'm if saying that I, wasn't the aggressive part of that. No, 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 no. I'm saying I was, I was um, apologizing to Jack because I didn't want to think I was, I was coming at him. But oh, it's all right. Oh, I appreciate that, Jack. <laughs> but you know, it, man, it, it's it's certainly not a lack of confidence. They 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 need to maybe even humble themselves uh, at this point and try and get back to the basics. Well, and that's what that's what the writers at the War Chant. Um, we're saying, or Tomahawk Nation, my bad. They're saying that the new blood culture just is not there. It just it doesn't seem like there's dedication to the game, and I don't know if that's something that you can put on not having depth. Maybe players are tired of feeling like they're carrying the weight on their shoulders, but it just doesn't seem like they want to win at times. Question for all three of you: Does this, like I said earlier, we were talking about earlier, Norvell? It starts with the top with him. He's been a great leader. Coach Hamilton over the years has been an amazing leader for this team. Is it his fault? Do we blame him? I, I, I can't blame is an interesting word. I, I can't blame him just because of what he's done for the program over his tenure here. I mean, Florida State basketball had no consideration for anyone when he took the job. Um, and I, I think, you know, multiple things can be true at once. I think he's been a great coach here, but I think the answer ultimately is that it's time for a fresh approach. It's time for something new uh, because clearly what's going on right now is not working. Uh, are, are, are you saying uh, something new as in change of leadership or something new as within? I, I think there I think there needs to be a new head man leading the role. I think he gets at least, uh, I think he gets to finish this year out no matter yeah. what. Um, if, if Florida State basketball, I'd say with, 12, 13 games in next year has a losing record, then I think it's it a, would be warranted. It's a David Shaw situation, the head coach of Stanford, where they had yeah. an incredibly disappointing year, and he's had a great tenure there, but ultimately he realized it was time to step well, aside. It's a, it's a, well, it's it's a Bobby Bowden almost thing. I mean, Bobby Bowden, um, you know, God rest his soul, he, he wanted, even though, um, you know, he was having a, a pretty poor last couple of years there, he wanted to go out on his own terms. He wanted to coach 35, and he didn't, he only got to 34 years, and so you know he felt betrayed by that. And so I, I think I think that's the last thing we should do is make Coach Hamilton feel betrayed. I think he he deserves uh, the rest of this year, and he deserves to start next year no matter what, um, because we know that he can turn things around. But at this point, eight games in, we're questioning why hasn't it yet? So. Um, you know he gets. He should definitely finish the year out. He should definitely uh, be the head man at the start of the season next year. In my opinion, I think it's too too early to pull the trigger there. But um, it's the fact that 
you know, we're even talking about it. It's just surprising. Kylie, you want to take a, a stab at that question that Jack posed to us? I mean, I'll I'll keep it short because we got other sports to potentially tackle here. But essentially, I don't think you can put the entirety of the blame on him. But I don't think you can absolve him from the entirety of the blame either. Like I said about offensive adaptations, I think Brooke Wyckoff has done a great job of adapting and improving her offense upon the legacy that Coach Sue left. And I think that it would be nice to see something like that happen with men's basketball. A team that's 1-7, and seven, the sledding is not going to get any easier. Probably the most difficult schedule you could possibly draw up. Uh, on Wednesday night in Tallahassee, they're coming into town for the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Number 5, Purdue. They're 6-0 this year. Nearly 20-point wins over, over Gonzaga and Duke, who were both ranked in the top 10 at the time. So dominating really solid teams. And then this weekend, they'll head uh, at Virginia number three in the land. They're 5-0 and this year, uh, Saturday at 2 p.m. They also beat Baylor and Illinois. So two really good top five teams. And kind of like you said, Jack, it's like, what's even the strategy there? Let's just keep it close. Let's just give them a scare. Because at, at 1-7 and seven and, and so, showing no fight against like really poor teams the past weekend, I don't, I don't know what much better you can ask for. Uh, we're coming to the, the top of the 8 o'clock hour, so I just want to remind you that you're listening to uh, WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We'll keep rolling a, 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 around now. Coming up at 10 p.m., we got Hoot Nanny uh, at, at 10 o'clock performing in an in-person performance inside the studio, so uh, that, that'll be something to, to watch out for. But on the hardwood, on the other side of things, uh, the FSU women – they went two and one in Cancun this past weekend. They advanced to seven and one on the year. They're still unranked though, which I was expecting them to to be getting a ranking here at seven and one. But guys, a really good start. Uh, unlike the men, the inverse of the record. They're seven and one. That's a great start for for Brooke Wyckoff and and what is now kind of her true year one. Absolutely. I mean, she did amazing things in her uh, brief interim stint uh, when. Coach Sue had to take a year off to take care of her mother. Um, so I, I, going into this, I think you could have expected greatness, but I think a key thing to touch on here is Tania Latson. Yes. She is an absolute beast. She won the Cancun Challenge MVP, rightfully so. She's the first ever to sweep ACC Player of the Week and Rookie of the Week honors back-to-back, made the NCAA starting five, and this was her fifth straight 20-point performance against Harvard at the Cancun Challenge. This is just an absolute dominant force. Uh, I think uh, it was correct that she made the ACC players to watch list at the beginning of the year. And essentially, Wyckoff has just put together a class of recruits that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, she's led the team at points in every game this year as a freshman I mean, you had Morgan Jones on the way out who led the Knolls in every statistical category last year. So you're thinking, oh, man, you know, where? who do you turn to? Where do you go, especially with a new coach? What's a player they can lean on? And, and for a freshman, there's been a lot put on, on lats and shoulders, but it's been really incredible to see her performances. I mean, I think she's one of the best, probably one of the best athletes on this campus right now as far as her impact uh, to the team. It's It's been huge. This come, uh, by the way, 24 and a half games, points per game, seventh in the country. So she's a top 10 scorer this weekend. They'll have uh, at three and five Wisconsin, home against four and three Stetson, 
and uh, a matchup to keep your eyes on. December 18th, they'll play right now number three UConn, and that game is on the main ESPN channel. I know FSU Volleyball got their first ever game on the, the main ESPN this season. I would imagine might be uh, women's basketball's first time on that channel, and, and maybe playing UConn at the right time and could make a national statement in that game. That's something we will keep our eyes peeled for. Uh, moving along to, to the pitch on the Seminole Soccer Complex, FSU Soccer. They beat Arkansas one nothing this past weekend in their Elite Eight matchup, and they advanced to the College Cup for the 13th time in school history, going for their fourth championship. I think they went to four of the last five College Cups, which is the, just the final four of the NCAA tournament. They were the number one overall seed in the country, so they got to host all the games in Tallahassee that they could win leading up to the, the Final Four. They advance all time to 55-2-1 at the Seminole Soccer Complex in the NCAA Tournament. Their first three rounds, they beat FGCU, LSU, and Pitt all by three goals each. And uh, the one nothing win over Arkansas. Uh, about 10 minutes into the second half, it was a corner kick for Jenna Neiswanger, who's who's taken those. She's taken the corners and the, the free kicks all year, trying to set up a play. And it was a known goal, kind of on a whiff, off a Razorback player right in front of the net for the only goal of the game. And so, um, a, a terrific uh, a terrific win for them, and they're going back to the College Cup, guys. Absolutely. I got the privilege to talk to Coach Penske after the pair of Notre Dame and um, UNC wins to set them up for the ACC championship or to give them the ACC championship win. And essentially what Penske said was, by winning, it's amazing that we don't have to talk about not winning because essentially he knows that he has a legacy to follow up here. And while that does rest on the backs of the players and they certainly do not miss an opportunity to perform and put on a show, it's a lot of pressure to follow up that kind of a legacy and uh he's a great guy i'm happy that they're winning not only as an fsu fan but also just to see him succeed as well with this team yeah no question about that uh christina roque the goalie 20 29 and one uh nine nine draws uh, since 2020 for her and uh they'll play in the college cup this weekend they'll play unc who they beat once and lost once to this year and then they'll play the winner if they win it I think it's Alabama and UCLA on the other side. But we do have to wrap up the program. New release is coming up. This has been Tomahawk Talk. For myself, William Haynes, Jackson Bakich, Kylie Brennan, Jack Arducer, our producer, Jack Oliaro, peeking in from behind the glass. Uh, new release is coming up next. You're listening to 89.7 FM, WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.